Hello and welcome to The Generation Gap here with me, Clive Glover, and with Anna. Hello, Anna. Hi. Okay, today, what are we going to talk about? Um, so today we are talking about robots um, and about how kind of the ethics surrounding the debate whether robots should come into existence, how developed robots should be, um, do they have emotional intelligence, people's perception of robots and just um, also the benefits and um, the kind of the drawbacks of maybe um, the complexities of robots. Yeah. <laughs> okay well that's a good good coverage um we haven't got three hours though so let's see if we can yeah we might down. to be honest we might not cover all of that <laughs> right okay i think the first thing is to say what is a robot now i have an impression i have a feeling that people um have impressions of what a robot is really which has been influenced particularly by hollywood movies so there is what i call a hollywood robot mm. and that will be something it looks like or at least it, it's sort of um, the same shape as a human so it's got two legs it's got arms and it's got a face yeah and a head um, and that's obviously the image which you you can see in many films um, and so that's what people think is a robot but I would say that actually of course most robots and there are actually hundreds of thousands there might even be millions of them actually out there working away for us at the moment um, many of them are actually in factories and typically in a, something like a car factory which is a really boring job for humans to do. So robots doing them seems to me perfectly reasonable. But if you think about it, you know, the car is going along a production line and it's a sort of chassis. And then say it's got to have a, a left-hand door put on it. So there's a robot which is its entire existence is to take a door from some sort of uh, container, lift it up, turn it round and attach it to the car and then maybe tighten the bolt or something. And that's its job. And it does that, you know, so many times an hour, so many times a minute maybe even. And it never does anything else. Um, and that's not really a very scary robot. There's nothing to worry about that. They, they, they will get it right every time and they just keep on doing it. They could do it 24 hours a day, of course, without stopping to um, eat or drink or go off for a little break or whatever. Mm. Um, and so that seems to be a pretty reasonable thing to do. Yeah, I'd say... Um, that's actually helpful because I think it in that scenario I think robots would be more efficient maybe than humans because as you say humans get tired humans need breaks humans get paid whereas robots aren't getting paid but robots are quite costly but it's interesting you mentioned kind of the car industry because I was doing a bit of research in, um, into some different industries and um, robots are actually I think are becoming quite instrumental maybe I don't know as much as I probably should, but in agriculture, but, um, and there's quite a specific example, which kind of links to COVID, which is quite interesting because it's very recent. Um, but because of, I read that because of COVID, vo vocational workers were unable to pick fruit. So it was going rotten before it came off the tree, which led to massive wastage, which cost money, ruins the supply chain. So it's way more efficient for robots to pick fruit. And also robots can detect like parasites within this example is with olives, but I'm sure maybe in other... Um, is it olive a fruit? I think it probably is, yeah. yes. Um, well, humans can't really detect that. Like, you can maybe see if there's a pa parasite on a food, but they, they can't necessarily see within it, or I don't know. But So that's quite interesting how... Um, I think it's just... I think kind of the what you mentioned, what I've mentioned so far, robots definitely are a lot more efficient um, in kind of industries that provide that need is quite like methodical and um like 
in a car factory, that's quite a methodical process and it's a process that the robots follow and it's just, it's repetitive and same with picking fruit. But yeah, I think as we get on to later, it, when he, robots start, start becoming more complex, that's when it becomes a bit more scary. Yeah, well, there's a lot of things that obviously we have machines that do things for us and they've been uh, sort of robotized, if that's a phrase. <laughs> um, so there's all sorts of things around the house using equipment which basically is doing work for you that otherwise would have been manual. I mean, for example, we have an automated bread maker. Now, I wouldn't call it a robot, but it is quite clever. I just stick all the ingredients in it, turn it on, tell it how long to cook, what kind of loaf I want, and I just go away and leave it. And it beeps a few hours later with a loaf of bread in it. Um, now, that's not something I'd call a robot, but it's obviously an automated machine which has some sort of capabilities like that. Yeah, because I was, as we mentioned um, when we were just chatting for the podcast, um, we have a lot of people have Siri and Alexas in their homes, and those are kind of robots. They're AI. It is like intent. I don't know if it's AI actually, but it's I don't know. It kind of comes into that category, and that's becoming so normalized. Like so many things, I think are becoming normalized. Kind of have to take a step back and think. Hang on, should this be so normalized? Should we accept this so much? Um, but also, I read something that was talking about how. We don't really fully understand how human minds even work yet. So I think we're, we're years away from creating robots to have the same amount of complexity as human minds because we don't even fully understand, as I said, human minds. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. That, that's right. I think the thing is that what we've got uh, at the moment, and AI is the same really, that we have um, machines effectively which can do things for us and you can program and set up a machine to do particular tasks, as you say, including picking fruit and things like that. Um, but um, that same robot and the one in the factory putting a door on a car can't suddenly go away and play a game of chess with you, but you can have a robot that's been taught to play chess mm. and beat it, beat humans. So this is the thing. It's called a, a general intelligence is what we have. We learn things uh, and we learn all sorts of different things and we can obviously do any number of different jobs um, because we've learned how to do them. And this is way more complex than anything any machine we've ever invented can do. Talk about Siri and Alexa and so on. I mean, you're right. Those are personal systems yeah. because they do things that we individually want them to do. Like uh, I can say, you know, Siri, please send me a, uh, send me something or find something for me or search for something i can say uh you know send an, send an email to anna i could say yeah and probably would be able to do that for me um but but i i don't actually use it like that but i know it can be but that's just in my phone or in a little speaker on my desk or something like that um how about if it was actually sort of mobile and it looked like a human and it could walk around your house and uh, also do the washing up and things like that, mm. or fill the dishwasher um, rather than actually do the washing up itself. Um, that will be a sort of general purpose domestic robot. And that seems to be the sort of idea people have that they, they might want one of those um, if such a thing existed. And I, I wonder whether we'll ever get quite to that sort of stage. But that seems to be a sort of general impression of what a robot might be. It's interesting that you bring them up, bring that up because I think that is really important. Um, when you consider the image of a robot because with Siri and Alexa they seem quite harmless they just look like another piece of technology like a phone kind of that level but level of kind of familiarity but when a robot starts because it, when you said that it reminded me of a program that I watched it's called Humans I don't know if you saw it 
I, I was going to actually mention it myself. That's an excellent program, and of course that that does sort of come up with this idea that there's sort of they call them synths, don't they? Synthetic humans, mm. and they are basically robots who are look look like humans because they're the actors are real people <laughs> but i mean yeah. it, it is quite interesting and it, it picked out a lot of these sort of dilemmas that um you can envisage would be the case well yeah i think because it kind of comes to the question whereas should because there's something called eq i don't know if you've heard it but that's what emotional intelligence is called um within robots and within that show it kind of touches upon how the robots kind of come to i don't know it depends on your opinion but you could argue that they become too intelligent, too autonomous. Um, I think it's quite scary because I watched a video while I was researching for this podcast about this robot that was made and it looked like a human and it was able to have a conversation with another human. I don't know if that, I don't know if it worked that they'd already pre-decided what the conversation was going to be about and programmed it to have those responses. But it, yeah, it was quite scary to be honest. I don't. I didn't really like that. <laughs> it's quite a few of those sort of things, but there's a thing called the Turing test, named after Alan Turing, oh, yeah. who was sort of one of the um, early pioneers of computing, effectively. Um, and his his test, because it was, I mean, the 1940s we're talking about. He was obviously involved in the Second World War, the Enigma um, things, and so on. Was that you know the um, film The Imitation Game? Is that with him? That's that's that's, that's right. That's him. yeah. Um, but I mean, he had this test. He said that if you sit down at a computer terminal and you basically have a conversation with somebody, um, you need to be able to decide, are you conversing with a human or with a computer? And if, in fact, you thought it was a human and it was a computer, then they've passed the test of, you know, showing intelligence in some way. Mm. Um, now, obviously, that was from a, a way before the sort of technologies we've got these days where you can do that sort of stuff and i said again you can program sort of a computer system no doubt to be fantastically intelligent on one particular subject um and so if you conversed with that um computer you think wow i'm talking to a real expert in whatever it is and obviously the sort of areas people think might be very useful be um, like medicine you know you have a computerized doctor and you say oh i've got a pain in my arm or i've got a you know my eye hurts or some such thing and it would say oh well that could be this this and this and then ask you questions and you uh, answer those questions and it sort of filters down what the problem is and say oh well you know the problem is you've got this take this tablet sort of thing mm. um and that sounds relatively easy because you could feed every sort of medical textbook into a computer so it knew everything and therefore would be able to answer the question but i know for a fact that people have been trying to do this for over 30 years and they still haven't really got anywhere near getting a sort of all seeing all dancing kind of um computer doctor what's quite bizarre is not bizarre but interesting maybe a bit of both is that um we are as humans are the one who create the robots why how can the ro i don't understand how the robots can have greater intelligence than we can as humans when we're the ones creating them well they won't have greater intelligence but they certainly could have a lot more knowledge because obviously in theory you can just feed in every book in the oh, world yeah. or or every everything in the world about some subject and they would know far more you know more they would be able to absorb much more than you could ever read in your whole lifetime for example um, but that doesn't make them intelligent it makes them knowledgeable yeah that's true and obviously they can whiz through all that information much quicker than you can um 
probably, because they can go through hundreds of millions of things at once. I mean, for example, a good example of um, what's AI, not really a robot, um, is that Google did these experiments with um, X-rays. And they um, basically um, found that they could, you know, if you do an X-ray for somebody to see if they've got a tumour, say, mm. that sort of thing, it obviously shows up on the X-ray in a particular way. It's a sort of blob or a different colour or some such thing like this. And normally what happens is you've got the X-rays and then a, a qualified doctor has to sit down and look at it. And obviously they, they can probably um, pick out things which they need to investigate quite quickly. Let's say a minute or two minutes looking at an X-ray will give them the answer. But the computer system could go through like 10,000 of them in a, in a couple of minutes. And so they found that it was quite capable of picking out the ones which were uh, potentially an issue. And so the doctor only had to look at, say, you know, a sample of 5% of them mm. because the other 95% had been rejected. There wasn't any problem. Um, now that sounds like a really good system. And they did it and showed it, and, and it worked very well with a sort of experimental system with a particular hospital and particular doctors and so on. But they tried to generalise it and go out to other hospitals and found out they really couldn't make it work as well. And uh, I think that's still ongoing, working out exactly how to sort of use this in a more general sense. I just think that is interesting because I don't know if I would um, trust that even if I knew that it had gone, that a robot had gone through many tests I for kind of capability. I wouldn't sure if I trust it. I feel like I'd need to go back and check it. Um but that is interesting because I was looking because I was looking to healthcare that industry, and um, robots can actually be really really helpful, especially in the system of healthcare. They can assist surgeries, which again, would you want? A, but then, would you want a robot being part of your surgery? I'm not sure. Um, and then also during again during COVID, um, hospitals and cl- clinics actually began to deploy robots for like a much wider range of tasks especially to help reduce exposure to pathogens because that was obviously a massive part of that's how the virus spread um because because i looked into it and they, it said that robots can clean and prep patient rooms independently like helping to limit the person-to-person contact and they're just more make operation more efficient um and also they can enable medicines so ai enabled medicines to to identify software to reduce the time it takes to identify, match and distribute medicine to patients in hospitals. So I do think there's been a lot of force for good with with um, AI and robots, and there still is. I just, it's kind of like, where do you draw the line? Because with driverless cars, would you count that as AI? That's like a whole different debate. I think that's a massive debate with um, amongst the public, because that's, that's, yeah. Well, I mean, okay, let's go on to cars. Yeah, I mean, to obviously, cars. there's a whole a huge industry now of um, big companies and huge amounts of money being thrown into the idea of creating what they call, um, well, driverless is one way of doing it. But it's basically a, a car that can drive itself. And obviously, um, it, they're getting a long way with this, but they have done lots of experiments with, with cars driving by themselves. But 
um, it's in places like in in America where they've got big wide roads and you know not really much traffic. For example, they can you know send a car off to drive a four hundred miles along a freeway, yeah, um, and it, it can do that quite happily because it, it's it's not really um, challenged so much. But the same car driving through the middle of a little village in Devon, for example, with sort of windy roads and not many road signs, that kind of stuff, will be a different thing. And also maybe because obviously the the roads are narrower, so we have to have more sort of um, ability to stop and let other cars go by or whatever. And obviously if you you drive along a a narrow road where in fact you can't get past the other way, you have to sort of let someone pass, there's quite a lot of to-ing and fro-ing where you think, are they going to back up into that little space so I can get by or should I back up a little bit so they can get by? And it's a lot of interaction, which is a very human interaction. You know, we make signs at them, we wave at them and say, okay, I'll go back. Or some people, of course, might make ruder signs, say, get out my way. Mm. (laughs) Um, Basically, that sort of uh, human interaction, which is involved in driving in certain circumstances, is probably very, very hard, if possible at all, to sort of create in a, a computer system. That's that's one of the sort of things. Um, the whole business about driverless cars, though, is, is actually about um, we, we've got cars now where you've got all sorts of automated systems you can use. You know, you have a little system to backing into a car parking space and it beeps at you and shows you the picture and tells you left a bit, right a bit, whatever, and beeps when you're too close to the wall behind you or whatever it is. Um, and those sort of things are sort of driver assisting things. And I think that they are very good and they are basically computerized systems of some kind. But taking the human out of it completely is really a much bigger step than it, it appears, I think. And I, 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 real, I think people are realizing how quite how difficult that is. So I don't expect to see real driverless cars other than sort of experimental prototypes and whatever uh, for some years yet. Because mm, I remember you talking to me about um, the situation I don't know if you want to explain the situation with the um, woman and the child and the... It's a standard ethical thing. I I, I never get it quite right. But basically, there are circumstances where you're perhaps driving and your car has done something. I mean, say the brakes failed, so you can't stop. Mm. And you know you can't stop. And you know you've got to crash in some way. And you're driving along the road there and there's several people crossing the road. And you basically have to go left or right to crash your car to stop it. And you might, you know, you have to probably run into one of those. You know, obviously, it's not a dilemma you'd ever want, but it's a reality potentially. And so there's a woman with a buggy, perhaps, and a couple of children maybe walking across one side. And there's a single, say, an old man the other side. And do you have to make an ethical decision which one I would hit? And that's the sort of thing which is completely impossible, I think, for a, a robotic. AI system to make a decision. That's why I think AI can be really useful in some industries and then not so much in others. And I think it's like, but then um, I was reading something that was about how people may find it difficult to come to terms with robots or be skeptical skeptical of like robot human interaction. But you've got to remember like a hundred years ago, people adapted to seeing motor vehicles on the road rather than horses in the street. And that became normalized. Phones became normalized, computers became normalized. So I do think that robots are always, already becoming ingrained into society. Like I don't think, I don't know if it, I just, I'm not sure how I feel about it yet, but it's kind of, I feel like <laughs> there's not much, what's going to stop? How is that allowed? Is there legislation? Is there, like, can, where do you draw the line with uh, stopping people from developing products? Like, 
you can't stop it. And, I mean, and in fact, there are actually drafting legislation now to allow experimental um, driverless cars here. But what they think, I think the practice they're going to try is to have um, driverless taxis effectively. Um, so that, you know, it might be restricted to particular routes, say. That would be one way of, of limiting it. They have to go particular ways. Um, but, you know, the idea is you could just sort of hail a cab or you could go, I mean, particularly, I suppose, from a railway station, maybe. There'll be a line of them outside and you just get in it and there's no there's no driver, there's no steering wheel or anything. And maybe it seats, you know, six people. And you say, you know, take us to so-and-so. And you have to sort of register, wave a card or your phone or something to say who you are and to make a payment for it. Um, but then it just basically goes along on a predetermined route. It always goes between the station and wherever else it is that you are mentioning. What happens um, if um, there's a crash between a driverless car and a car with a human? Who's Where does this responsibility lie? The insurance companies are working on that one because it's obviously an issue. Um, you, you know, if you if you're in a car which is automated, and you've switched on the automation, and you're just sitting there reading the newspaper, and it crashes, that human is still a responsible person for the car. But if it's one where there's no driver as such, it's an automated car completely. Who is responsible? Is it the um, company that owns it? Is it the company that made it? Mm. Um, or is it somebody else? And this is obviously the sort of thing which um, no doubt lots of lawyers and people are all pouring over at the moment. That's so interesting to me because yeah it's just it's just kind of it's hard as I said earlier we've normalized a lot of um technology it's just think imagine if you actually imagine it imagine walking out your street and you see someone you see five people four people six people which however many in a car and there's no driver I just think that's so hard to put your head around because driving is when I've learned I've been learning to drive currently and so much of it is safety focused like I'm learning to be a safe driver will people even need to start taking driving tests if there's cars that surely also we haven't even touched upon this at all which I'm surprised about but I suppose we can do that now (laughs) is that um won't a lot of jobs be kind of taken up be won't people be kind of displaced from their jobs because taxi drivers, people who work in factories, um, farmers, yeah. Well, I think in terms of driving, I think taxi drivers certainly is likely to be a job that may be um, reducing in numbers of people. Also, actually, lorry drivers, you know, the sort of big HGV drivers, um, if you've got basically HGV type trucks and presumably electric versions of them, which essentially drive up and down motorways, so main roads, then I reckon that you could probably automate those quite easily. And maybe you'd have a particular lane for automated cars um, on a motorway. Um, And so they would go along like a train, really. They'd all be sort of exactly, you know, six feet apart or something like that because the robots would make sure they only ever keep that distance and they'd all slow up or or speed up at the same time. But how can... I know you can't answer this really, but I'm just kind of rhetorical question. How can um, driverless cars be prepared for any for every circumstance? They they just can't, can they? Well, no, and, and nor can you as a driver. That's I mean, obviously true. There, that are, true. there are people having accidents with cars every day. Yeah, and that's probably a, you know a, a mistake or a, a misjudgment of some kind, or, or doing something silly like driving through a red light. Um, so, I mean, these you know nothing is ever going to be perfect. No. Um, what I think about 
uh, with electric cars, I think that what's going to be happening is actually um, they are more expensive. They, they may obviously come down in price, but they're still going to be quite expensive to run and look after. Um, and I think if you look at the statistics, most cars only spend something like 4% of their the day actually driving anywhere. That Most, most of the time, like 96% of the time on average, cars are parked somewhere. And people don't go very long distances. The typical um, commuting driving uh, distance is something like 25 miles. So, you know, you're driving a car 25 miles there, 25 miles back every day for a week. So five times um, the whole journey for the week is probably within the range of one sort of battery charging an electric vehicle. Um, but the cars basically are not used very much. And this is actually inefficient, I suppose, is the politest way of putting it. Um, so if, in fact, we have electric cars which are automated and you basically can get in them and say, you know, take me to so-and-so, um, then perhaps what's going to happen more likely is, is car sharing, where perhaps a block of flats or a road of houses has a number of vehicles parked there which you all have can use when you want them and you probably have to book them in advance and you, you take them and bring them back again um, and so on and you just pay per hour or whatever when you're using them and this would actually cut down the traffic quite drastically and um i think you have to think about the environmental impact as well that's part of the consideration obviously yeah because i i don't know do um do you know this if um driverless cars are they electric well, then they don't have to be, but they will be because obviously they're developing now and they're, they're developing most cars are going to be electric, electric in yeah. the future. Mm. Um, but also, I mean, they, they have lots of computers in them. I, I've forgotten. I, I did read about one. I think it had about 54 computers in it. I mean, obviously, they weren't big computers, but they were they were chips doing various things, one on each wheel and one on this and the lights. And there's all sorts of things because as they go along, well, if you think about it, when you're driving along, you're looking in front of you, you're looking to the side of you, you're looking at your instruments possibly, um, and you're obviously doing the whole thing, which is, I know when you're learning to drive, it's quite complicated, it seems it. You've got to remember to push your foot up and down on the on the, the pedals, you know, to change gear, changing the gear, holding the steering wheel, thinking about where you're going, maybe talking to someone as well at the same time. Mm. Um, you Multitasking isn't in it. Um, so, the cars have got to the automated cars have got to be able to do all those things they've got to know how far they are in front or behind to the side they've got to obviously drive along a road with parked cars they've got to be aware that someone may suddenly open a front door a car door in front of them that sort of thing um so there's hundreds and hundreds of different things they've got to do and the amount of data which is going around from all these computer systems to actually um drive the car along is unbelievable um and so that's why the experimental cars you see have got sort of strange devices on the roof, which are all sort of radar systems and various things like this that do all the measuring and counting and, and so on. And it's really very, very complicated indeed. So who are the people creating these cars? Well, there's a number of companies. I mean, obviously, the, the best known electrical uh, car is is tesla yeah uh, and they they started from nowhere to you know they weren't a car company but all the established car companies are obviously making electric vehicles as well volkswagens and the ford and all the rest of it and there's other startup companies as well who think they can do it better i mean um, isn't and, more more specifically drive do you know about driverless cars who 
Well, all of them, I mean, I, I know Google's got a company which they, they bought, which was doing driverless cars, and, and Tesla's got a, a driverless pack, th- theoretically. You can sort of buy a extra software which allows you to drive, but it's not actually been allowed other than experimentally, I think. It's, you know, nobody's actually approved it for real-life use, although in America there's various places where they are testing. I forgot where it is, but there's at least one town where they're basically um, giving licenses to everyone to do these uh, try all the trials of these cars. Um, but again, as I said earlier, I mean, American towns tend to be much larger with big, wide roads. So it's probably easier to manage with those mm. than little villages we we might have. Yeah. Well, it's definitely a space to watch, isn't it? It's constantly evolving yeah but i think you know you're right that probably at some point in the future learning to drive a car might be something which is redundant or similar to learning to look after a horse Mm -hmm. it's interesting it's really interesting it's going to have some big impacts i think yeah um but i mean you could also have a sort of robot driver sitting in the car to, to give you some sort of assurance maybe Mm. It wouldn't, really, wouldn't really make. I'm not any sure that would make me any more reassured. <laughs> no, but it's a sort of. I just suddenly thought of that. Maybe the fact there's no driver or no steering wheel may be an issue. So you can have a sort of fake steering wheel and a robot that sits there with a cap on that looks like a chauffeur. That would really creep me out. I think. <laughs> but um, I just had this vision suddenly popped into my head, and I thought, "Well, that that would be interesting. How about that? Um, <laughs> how about how about automated?" completely driverless or pilotless for aeroplanes oh wow yeah that's um i'd have to see a lot of evidence that they're safe takes one time for it to go wrong though well that's the problem isn't it you know obviously things will go wrong sometimes it's always going to happen but i mean um but you can't avoid these things or Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the way things are sort of going. And it's about cost as well, to some extent, as we said about the car factories, you know, having it all completely full of robots, although they're expensive to buy and install. Once you've got them, they can work 24 hours a day, seven days a week forever. And you don't need to pay them. Uh, yeah, so. that is true. But I feel like it takes away the consumer's choice. Like, do we have any choice in the matter if we want a pilot or it was going to affect everything because people study aeronautical engineering university, but there's going to be have a massive, if the end result or the end destination changes, for example, the driver, there's no drive pilot university degrees going to have to be changed. Education going to have to be changed. It's going to have to be changed to curriculum. Like it's going to have a lot of effects. I think. Well, in terms of jobs, I mean, Obviously, automation and machinery always has taken over other people's jobs that were done manually beforehand. Yeah. And you mentioned farming, and there's a lot of, I mean, these days, um, big farms have huge tractors and things which are controlled by any number of robots, which guide them to go up and down the fields automatically, you know, in straight lines, planting or, or pricking crops and that sort of thing. Um, as well as all the calculations they make about how many seeds you put in, where you put, how much fertiliser you use, how much food you feed to your cows and all the rest of it. Uh, and these things are all very much sort of computer controlled these days. Um, but I mean, many other jobs, a lot of jobs like being a, a architect or a solicitor are being sort of automated to a large extent. And so all those sort of jobs are also a bit uh, you know unlikely for the future to some extent i think it just means that people 
um, going into a work in whatever job they're doing really have to expect to change their work and change their career quite quite drastically over their lifetime. Mm. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's going to really affect things, which is not necessarily a negative, but oh, I don't know. <laughs> I still don't know how I feel. I still don't know how I feel about all of the change. It's quite hard now to think, well, what job could I do or what career could I go into that will still be safe for the next 40 years? It's kind of a shame, uh, though, because when you have a taxi driver, you have that interaction and it's nice and like, it's it's human. I believe that so much part, part about your life is about the connections you make with people. I think if you're taking away humans from certain roles, and that's actually quite a shame. Yeah, the taxi driver explaining their views about things. <laughs> sometimes though those little interactions you could have a really nice conversation that could like change somebody's day i was just gonna say like taxi drivers are f- famous for sort of espousing their views which are, are very um distinct shall we say <laughs> that is a generalization it is a generalization i guess you could program the robot driver to do the same you could you could that's true yeah what do you think about that so-and-so? Oh, dear. No, no, you should have got another goal. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Right. Well, look, um, we've had an interesting chat. We started off with robots. We went through quite a lot of sort of things about robots and artificial intelligence and all the technology which we're sort of becoming used to expecting. And, and I suppose I think these days I'm not surprised by almost anything that people say, oh, do you realise we can just do this now or the computer can do that? I think that um, that's the thing that's really amazing these days that, uh, you know, there's almost nothing that people think you can't do. Um, watching those rockets going up and then the um, launch, the uh, sorry, extra engines and bits coming back and landing themselves on a platform in the middle of the ocean is just amazing to me. No, it, it is amazing. Yeah, it is really it is exciting as well. Um, I just need I kind of need to get my head around it. I haven't really formed all my opinions on it yet. Well, I think it's when you start noticing things, probably, you suddenly say, oh, hang on a minute, how did that shot work? We, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, that's true. Automated shops these days where you walk in and you don't really have to do anything. It's all sort of um, press a button here, press a button there and do this. Um, and this is all basically sort of computerised systems of various kinds of robotic systems. Um, there's automated supermarkets you can just walk into and you just wave your card because you you know you've got a some sort of membership card take things put them in your basket and just walk out the shop and it automatically spots everything you put in your basket and charges you for it on your credit card as you walk out the door well yeah we have gone cyclical because uh, which is always nice because as i was saying earlier about Electra and siri there's so there's already robots within our lives or not robots kind of the wrong term like ai or technology advanced technology you don't even, as you say, Clive, like if you actually start thinking about things and noticing, then you do realise more. But I think a lot of people are just a bit, I definitely, I not oblivious, that sounds harsh, but just not as knowledgeable as, because it depends, It this is just to finish, like, it depends on what news you read. If you don't follow any technology, maybe articles or any tabs on your apps, like on news apps, then you're not going to be exposed to any of the information, are you? I think that's right. Well, I get all sorts of little newsletter things which come to me and, um, yeah, I follow up some of these things up where I see these and I think, wow, that's amazing. Absolutely. Anyway, look, I think we probably had our time today then. I would say so as well. Absolutely. Um, Well, 
interesting. I'm sure, as I said I think at the beginning, we probably could go on for several hours on this sort of subject. So perhaps we won't do that and bore everyone. But well, thank you for <laughs> Thank you for joining me today to talk about these things. And obviously, in the Generation Gap, we try and um, separate our views. But I think we're probably quite lined up on this, aren't we, actually, um, despite the Generation Gap? Um, I'm sort of used to this modern technology, or most of it, I think. Um, but I suppose you probably are used to other things, which I wouldn't really get better get my head around. Um, anyway, so this has been the Generation Gap show here on Radio Verulam. And um, you've been listening to Clive and Anna. And we um, do this quite often. And you can follow us on um, Twitter and Instagram. And you can obviously listen to other podcasts, which are all available on the Radio Verulam website, radioverulam.com. And uh, okay, see you again soon. Thank you. Bye.